episode 7 is sorely sponsored by Larissa Bargain Laser Surgery, proudly achieving a 54% success rate. Monsoon Jackson, Series 1, Episode 7, Electric Animals. Venus developed into the primary industrial complex, most people assume this meant for domestic goods. But humans are never that simplistic. The Vens, as the inhabitants preferred to be known, wanted to corner the market before anyone else did. There was good money in producing fibre-woven steels for the domes, or tunnel units for those who lived under the surface on the smaller moons. The rich were forever trying to have larger craft built to demonstrate how fantastically small their self-worth was. But the real money, the real serious, dirty money, was always in products that could have peaceful application, but definitely would be used to kill people. The early models of super-soldiers and various other exoskeleton modifications were utterly hopeless. The machines would reboot in the middle of combat, or the batteries would fail. Nothing like being stuck in three tonnes of stationary metal acting as a target, while the screen advises you it is installing a necessary update. There was some success with drones, but pretty much anyone was able to build those. Further attempts to develop items for war began to struggle. The distances between homeworlds was vast, and the cost to stage even the smallest invasion could ruin your economy for years. In the end, it wasn't evolution or enlightenment that saved humanity from annihilation, but basic economics. From time to time, there were skirmishes, boundary disputes over where your million miles of space ended, or ships being subjected to boarding. But, in the main, no one could really be bothered. Venn spotted this trend early on. They ensured their dirty money was redirected before anyone started asking awkward questions. They realigned their research into more customer-friendly robotic tech. Individuals could always be relied upon to buy any old rubbish, as long as the marketing was good. It started with toys. Will you let your child have the robo-fun time they so desperately want? All good parents, who love their children, already have. Then moved on to pets. Will you let your child have the robo-hound they so desperately want? All good parents, who love their children, already have into gaming. Will you let your child have the robo-playtime they so desperately want? All good parents who love their children already have. And eventually, as everything always did eventually, into emotional surrogacy. Will you let your child have the robo-best friend they so desperately want? All good parents who love their children already have. The market was huge and unending. The Vens made themselves a fortune. Naturally, there were teething issues. A few robo-hounds had, as the marketing department had been keen towards it, torn the stuffing out of their friends. Some of the robo-best friends may have been given unsound advice, which led to, as the marketing department had been keen towards it, a few unfortunate cessation of relationships. 
and an early introduction into adult-themed images. But in the end, it was so much easier than actual parenting. And so such items became commonplace, acceptable, standardised, and soon as the next latest craze came out, forgotten and left to corrode. With the punitive cost of waste collection, every so often a pile of dying robo-gimmicks would be found in an alleyway or down a maintenance tunnel. The local council would have to pick up the costs and return the items to the vens for parts recycling. The genius of this was the vens would then levy what they like to call environmental sensitivity charges to recycle. As the only planet with the infrastructure to recycle on the scale, it was a cash cow. Of course, everyone knew that. So, in return, councils would ensure products shipped from Venus always had additional customer care handling charges applied. It was a stupid game, but it kept everyone busy, which really, for most people, was what they needed. One of the more controversial developments was around the ongoing improvement of droids. During the colonisation period, they'd been extremely useful in setting up the initial bases. Not requiring oxygen or rest, they were openly favoured by human resources. They'd been indispensable. The cost of those lost to malfunction, debris strikes and other hazards was insignificant when compared to humans banging on about expecting healthcare benefits and other irritating forms of recognition back in the day when people still fought for human rights because they understood they were one of those humans. Soon as colonisation died back, in the main, droids were assigned menial duties. These were jobs no one really wanted to do but were forever complaining about not having the opportunity to do them. Or, worse than their enfeebled minds, being outraged that someone else from another planet was doing them. Whatever. Droids were cheap to manufacture and easy to programme. They lacked race, gender, or any other potential emanation criticism, which meant human resources departments could take even longer for lunch. All in all, it was a win-win. And despite certain dystopian films predicting droid revolt, it never came. How could it? They lacked the programming. From Droid 9 from Outer Space to Day of the Droids, it all required them the ability to think. But they didn't. They had a series of predefined processes they would follow, never question never deviate, never wonder if there was a better way. In many ways, a model human resources employee. Maybe that was why they were so comfortable with them around. The downside was that droids were cheap. It was a steady income, but nowhere near enough to retire early. So the Vens once again took the lead. They went back to the exoskeleton, but this time calling them enhancement units. There was nothing like a nice cheap rebranding to ensure the resident PR employees could stay slumped in the bath. Of course, the use of prosthetics and artificial limbs was hardly groundbreaking. The difference here was in what they could do. It was no longer just a leg, but a leg that could enable the owner to jump huge heights. This wasn't just an arm, but a container for a painter to carry coloured laser paints and correcting fluid around. It was no longer a spine but a reinforced mechanism to allow you to carry extra shopping when your partner decided to come along and help out. The Vens developed entire skeletal and organ replacements. If you had the money, you could pretty much replace every part of your feeble human frame. It wasn't perfect, could break down, but in the main, if you fell off a huge height or overloaded the shopping with just one too many things you didn't need, 
and hadn't intended to buy, the break could be fixed. You could consider yourself immortal. Of course, as with all fables foretold, immortality came at a price. The brand new, never bettered, state-of-the-art, best-ever superior deluxe award-winning part would soon become the second-rate, unsupported junk of tomorrow. And the more vital the part to your continued existence, the more expensive and regular the upgrades became. For the super-rich, or those with a decent knowledge of tax avoidance, this wasn't much of a hardship. But when the money ran out, as it did for many, the future was a deeply unpleasant, though mercifully brief, experience being woken to failing organs or experiencing the pain of a ruptured limb which would eventually cause fatal infection was hardly the dream of kings. But, as with all marketing, only the good stuff was kept in focus. And so people carried on buying into the dream. I am Cyborg. There was, though, one option for when the money ran out. You could enrol in the military, augmented division. They would take you. They'd cover your repair bills. They'd make you the mech you've always dreamed of, and with hardly any price to pay. Well, nearly. Despite wars between homeworlds being too costly and protracted, everyone still somehow believed they needed a standing military. After all, you had to protect your home. What if there was an invasion? What if one day the neighbours decided to try it on? It was unthinkable not to be pouring money into potential war and the media could always be relied upon to scare enough people into supporting this. A story about something suspicious on a nearby moon, a report on a council member from another planet whose values were not exactly the same as yours, a regular drip feed of inferences and sensational stories, no matter how lacking in facts, was the cornerstone of news. It had been forever. It was just taking humanity a long time to work it out. Every event could be subjected to interpretation and interpreted however best it suited you. Every fact, figure, comment, observation or belief could be twisted to suit whatever it was the journalist needed to write about. In one story, a datagraph would completely support a perspective. In another, that data would be used to ridicule the same. Most people had pride in the fact they were independent thinkers. They couldn't be manipulated. Their views were their own, of course. That was perhaps the best lie of all. Views are objects forged in the crucible of environment, family, interests and values. Those objects themselves subject to similar random contrivances. It was disturbingly simple to guide the majority to agree with you. It just took planning, patience and a keen understanding of how little attention most paid to anything beyond their own selfish agenda. I have eaten, I am warm, I am safe. Beyond that was just window dressing and shiny things. The press had both promoted and, at the same time, made horror of the adoption of augmented parts. At once, a life-saving innovation as much as a tool used by the warmongers to murder innocents. It was vital that the general masses were kept destabilised, not quite sure of the right thing to stand for or feel. Social media was a perfect training ground.
For every hero made good by tech, you could dredge up misuse. Being kicked to death by a metallic leg was, of course, no way to go. Many years ago, Monsoon had investigated a spate of brutal beatings on Saturn while still with the Solar Force. The local papers insisted on hinting at regulars from the nearby military training camp. The media wrote that they would come into town, get drunk and get brutal. Except... Except these were soldiers. Highly trained, respectful, dedicated soldiers. They were keenly aware they occupied one of the few jobs that actively encouraged putting your life in danger when asked. And the punishments for being less than a soldier were severe. Removal of augmentations was not unknown, and then jail time. You would, without exception, be made an example of. But if not them, then who? Surely not a local, not a neighbour, not a friend from work. Of course it was. Monsoon had lost count at how often people were surprised when it was their brother, sister, mother, father under arrest. Of course they'd be part of someone's family, but not yours. Never your decent, respectable family. Not your Uncle John, not your Auntie Heather. Yes, them. Monsoon had never felt uncomfortable arresting his target. All the tears, all the indignity, the disbelief, and rarely the regret. The family crowding round, explaining how he had the wrong person. It couldn't be their father. It had to be someone else's father. Except you could always tell in some ways they already knew. At least suspected. It didn't take that long to walk back from the social club. If their clothes are only muddy, why wash them the moment they got back in? They never did the washing. Their behaviour had changed. You knew, even when you didn't want to admit it. You knew it was them. They had betrayed you, and now they expected your loyalty. In this particular case, the breakthrough for Monsoon was finding a broken piece of electronics embedded in the latest victim. It had a partial serial number. Not ideal, but enough to finally pull a suspect's list together. Following a few weeks of good old-fashioned policing, Monsoon and his team narrowed it down to one. They arrived at his family home. Everything neat and tidy, except for the kid's bike abandoned outside. The entry droid, generally known as the Big Grey Key, punched the door open in one go. Suddenly, the house was invaded by a pulsing mass of police. The wife and children screamed. Instinctively, she put the children behind her, not knowing what was going on, but shielding them from harm. The husband made a move to the back, but saw officers waiting for him. He looked over at Monsoon. He had the look. The look that confessed. As the chaos subsided, the wife let go of the children and looked over at her beloved husband. She started to tremble and cry. So it was true. What she had suspected, what she had known, deep down in that place where your darkest thoughts are caged to protect your sanity. He tried to look innocently at her, to plead with her. But it was over. She had her children to protect now. He was expendable. Fourteen years of marriage gone in an instant. Monsoon nodded to some officers to take the wife and children away into another room. He knew how this played out and could do without the theatrics as the husband was led away. In time, she would come to hate her husband, to despise what he had done. Not so much to the victim, if she was honest, but to her reputation, her family. What did that say about her choices? What did it mean about the psychology of the children? Were they killers in waiting? 
Of course, the remnants of the family would move away, start again, but not really. You never really start again. You just keep going and try to make the best of things. It was always making the best of things. For a moment, Monsoon thought about Elijah. He was making the best of things, making excuses for missing yet another evening out with friends, absent partner. Monsoon was not so different from those he pursued. Monsoon realised the wife and children would be waiting, waiting for the man who'd taken their father, her husband, away. The man who had irrevocably destroyed their lives forever. He walked through into the next room and tried, as best he could, to give a gentle smile. He beckoned them to sit down. Sitting down always seemed to help. People were less inclined to attack you once sat. He explained the basics of trial and, if convicted, what would happen. He provided them with a standard police stat pack. This would provide them with all the information and FAQs they needed for the coming months. But that was all they got. Data. Because data was cheap. Repairing their lives, working out how to live on a single income, dealing with neighbours, that was on them, the final victims of the crime. Monsoon stood up with his well-rehearsed, grave face, then quickly exited the house. He didn't like taking advantage of their shock to make a quick exit, but as soon as they recovered themselves, the questions would be unending. His kindness with previous families had kept him trapped for hours, and, well, these days he had better things to do. Answering questions wasn't what they wanted anyway. They wanted it to have not happened, for Monsoon to be wrong. In fact, as time went on, some would come to believe he was wrong. It could take that long to walk home from the social club if he was intoxicated. Why shouldn't he wash his clothes if they were dirty? He needed them for the next day. Rarely, some believed he was wrong from the start. They would fight to keep their beloved, use any words or tactics they believed might stop the process. They were both home, all night, whatever night it was. Some even accused Monsoon of planting evidence or buying witnesses. These were all steps he had walked through and, in general, had proven to be wrong. It was the rite of passage in becoming a seasoned detective, except for one high-profile mistrial. But that was not spoken of, well, not in front of Monsoon. Naturally, the arrest required Monsoon to travel out to Venus. He had to gather information about the mech tech the killer had been wearing. This always made the Venn officials particularly rude. Any visit from the Solar Force was unwelcome, but particularly when it was Monsoon. He had a habit of digging around and asking awkward, or in his opinion, the right questions. The promotional briefing pack they kept trying to fob him off with never worked, but it was part of the opening gambit, and in some ways over the years, he'd come to feel comforted by it. The officials duly toured Monsoon around the manufacturing plant. They went to great lengths to remind him of the safeguards and suitability tests undertaken before shipping. Monsoon knew, as well as they did, that he wouldn't be able to tie them in with the murders. But the reputational damage was most irksome and often led to a brief drop in share prices. This, in turn, angered the shareholders who demanded answers. They were, of course, angry about loss of profit, not the death of innocence. It had been a long time since life was considered more valuable than money. Monsoon poked around and walked into rooms that were clearly marked as out of bounds. Only this time, the Venn officials had an answer. 
They offered Monsoon a free upgrade. His mech legs were end of life and already leaking in a few places. How about a free upgrade with lifetime support? Not a bribe, never, but to ensure the elite members of the Solar Force were in top condition for their exhausting duties. Monsoon knew it was a distraction, but had to admit there was nothing here he could use for the trial. The documentation was in order, the codes were all up to date and, well, the left leg did sometimes cause him pain. Monsoon checked the products. Out of their view, he removed the eight discreetly embedded tracking devices. Naturally, they were there for security reasons. Then he laid down and breathed in. When he woke up, the pain had gone. He sat up, then stood up. There was a bounce in his step. He ran on the spot. The new mech legs were superb. One of the officials gave him the brochure and guides, but, sensing he would never read them, gave him the edited highlights. He should not attempt a drop greater than 40 feet. He should ensure the fluid is changed every 500,000 steps. Due to the increased geostabilizers, he should take things easy for a few days while he got his balance back. Minor damage or ruptures would be self-repaired by the onboard nanomechs, but if the panel lights were anything but a cool white, he should report to a test station. Monsoon thanked them and said his goodbyes. He spent the entire journey home split between checking the legs for new tracking devices and running around the ship. He found a few more devices and smiled to himself. The Vens were nothing if not persistent. Knowing where a lead detective is at any time was valuable, and more importantly, financially rewarding information. He placed the trackers into a recycling pod, which fired them down into the fuel furnace deep inside the craft. Except for one, which he wrapped in copper gauze to kill the signal. He couldn't wait to show off his new legs to Elijah. Elijah had been fretting about the leak for weeks. It would be good to return home with one less worry for him. This reminded Monsoon. He looked urgently around the craft for a gift. There was nothing but metal and a few control panels. He couldn't bring him back yet another spaceport gift. There was nothing new left. Maybe the new legs would be enough. Yes, that would be enough. Even Monsoon couldn't bring himself to bother with a lie. He would need to make a quick detour to the shopping centre. Maybe some nice scented candles. Elijah always welcomed a new scent. Surely there was something else Elijah would like. Monsoon really needed to make more of an effort. He stood for a while trying to remember recent conversations with Elijah. Something he had expressed an interest in. Nothing. Monsoon made a mental note. This time, he would make the effort. There had to be more to Elijah's likes than his insatiable obsession with candles. You have been listening to Monsoon Jackson. Created and written by Andy Case for Leet Motif Productions Limited. The narrator, Monsoon Jackson, were voiced by Cameron K. McEwen. Other characters were voiced by Michelle Duncan and Cameron K. McEwen. The adverts were voiced by Heather Dent Cowan. The story, all names, characters and incidents portrayed in this production are fictitious. Copyright 2018.